have the opportunity to come and speak at Shore Community Church. Um, we're going to continue in the series on Sermon on the Mount, so you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 if you'd like. Um, I want us to consider the significance of the promises that Jesus gave to us in order to walk in His footsteps. And so today, I want to ask the question, what does it mean to live as disciples of Christ in the midst of a broken and divided world? Uh, Reuben and Anna, Reuben and Anna, were asking me if I would read the Beatitudes in Tereo, because I've been on this Tereo journey over the last several years, and uh, so I said I would, so bear with me. And uh, before I do that, I just wanted to say, no America ho ignare ko aotearoa toku kaina inaene. Kite hia hia aho kite ako itereo Maori, kite marama aki, kite mahio aki, kite ao Maori. So I am from America originally, but Aotearoa is now my home. And so I want to learn Te Reo Maori in order to better understand and to know the Maori world. And so that's the journey that I've been on. And so here we go with the um, Beatitudes in, in uh, Te Reo in Matthew chapter 5. Kakoa te hunga he rawa kore ne te wairua no hoki rato te rangitiratana o te rangi. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Kakoa te hunga e tangiana, ka whakamaria tia hoki rato. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Kakoa te hunga nako mahaki, ka riro hoki ia rato te finua. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Kakoa te hunga e hiakaiana, e hia inu ana, kite tika, e makona hoki rato. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Kakoa te hunga tohu tanata, e tohu nia hoki rato. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Kakoa te hunga nako ma, e kite hoki rato ite atua. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Kakoa te hunga hoho rongo, ka hua ina hoki rato he tamariki na te atua. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Kakoa te hunga e whakatoia ana mo te tika, na rato hoki te rangatiratana o te atua. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. So as we begin this, <laughs> I was hesitant to, to do that because I don't want it to be a thing of pride, I, but uh, they knew that I could do it, and so I wanted to share that with you. Um, it's special to me to have come from America and lived in New Zealand for 25 years, and I thought I should honor uh, New Zealand and honor the people of New Zealand, and I know all of us are the people of New Zealand now, and so um, it's just my way of contributing to my understanding of Aotearoa. 
Um, okay, so the Beatitudes, that's where we're going this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. And the first one I want us to look at is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, this beatitude is not a blessing to, uh, to the peaceful or to those who yearn for peace, but to the peacemaker. And it's interesting, that Greek word that, that's used in the New Testament in the original language means to do or to, to make. And so Jesus is really saying his followers, his disciples, are makers of peace. That we're, we are to be makers of peace. Of course, Jesus is the ultimate maker of peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker. And within the biblical framework, of course, great, Jesus is the greatest peacemaker of all. And at the beginning of the series, Reuben spoke on the first beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And that mournfulness was was really based around sinfulness. So we mourn because of our own sin, but we also mourn because of the sinfulness of the world, that we carry that with a weight, that we're aware of it, and we mourn for, for the fact that it exists. And that's the first thing we need to do, is to acknowledge and understand that God can have nothing to do with sin, that our sin separates us from God. And our sins have caused this great divide between us and God. And we can't get across that expanse to God because of our sinfulness. And therefore, sin always gets in the way of our access to God. But sin always causes separation. It causes separation between us and God. And it causes separation between us and one another. Because sin is always selfish. Sin is always selfish. It never looks towards the needs of the other person. And so it always causes separation in some capacity. But most of all, it causes separation between us and God. And the only way to have access to God is if we had a bridge across that expanse somehow. And that is what the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross gave to us. Access to God. He's our great high priest that we can speak to God and we can come to God through Jesus Christ. That all occurred on the cross. And it's through the cross that our sins are covered over and we have access to God. His blood covers over our sins and make our sins appear before God white as snow, Scripture tells us. I love what Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification is a fancy theological term, but it really has to do with our salvation. That, that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our salvation. An easy way to remember justification is just as if I've never sinned. Because that's, in essence, what's happening is the blood of Christ makes, it, makes us appear before God with our sins white as snow, as though we've never sinned. It, it covers over our sins with the blood of Christ. Therefore, Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus ushered in a peace between us and God. It's a peace that surpasses our understanding. And where there is peace then there can be reconciliation. But it's not until we find peace that we can be reconciled with God. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your sinful behavior or your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Jesus' death on the cross reconciled us so that we can be presented to God without blemish and free from accusation. We're reconciled with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, the apostle Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in its flesh the law which, uh, with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You see, God reconciled two worlds. He reconciled the Jewish world that was living under the Mosaic law. Jesus brought that to conclusion and ushered in a new way of living. And he, 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 he brought together this world of the Jew, Jewish world of the Mosaic law and the Gentile world or the non-Jewish world. That's all of us or most of us probably here. That God reconciled both groups together through Christ, thus making peace. And how much does the world need peace today? Jesus ushered in peace and reconciliation to the world. And Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker between us and God. But in the statement Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he meant more than just our relationship to God, actually. Jesus is talking more than just our separation between us and God, which is ultimately most important, but also He's referring to the separation between humanity. Jesus calls us to make peace with each other as well. We are to live at peace with those around us. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There have been many followers of Jesus throughout the centuries in history who have worked toward peace in their lifetime. This week I was reading about Father Ubald. He was uh, a Rwandan priest during the genocide in 1994. And it's, uh, it's an incredible story that he shares. But Father Ubald's parish was attacked, and he says he miraculously survived that attack, but 80 of his family members were killed. And he said over a period of three days, 45,000 people were killed who were trying to hide out in the parish. It's estimated 800,000, some estimate a million people were killed in that genocide, one-tenth of the population of Rwanda. It ranks as, as one of the darkest periods in human history. And he said on this TED Talk I was watching, he said, every night I wept feeling that I had failed. He had become a priest in order to preach love and to live love. After the genocide, he opened a center called the Center for the Secret Peace, where he brought together the survivors and the perpetrators of this horrible genocide, and he brought them together for conversations around peace and reconciliation. He said, I had to think of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. 
He passed away in 2021, but his legacy of forgiveness and peace lives on. And the story of Jesus' followers working for peace and forgiveness and reconciliation has happened over and over and over throughout history. I know many people today want to point to ideas like religion starts all wars and Christianity is part of religion and therefore we must somehow instigate all wars. But that view of history is false. It's a broken view. It's inaccurate to say that. Far more people have been killed in war through the name of secularism than the name of religion. However, that does not excuse the fact that tremendous evil has been done in the name of religion. It doesn't excuse the fact that when you read the pages of history, tremendous evil has been done in the name of Christianity. But an unknown an untold number of Christians, of followers, genuine, authentic followers of Jesus, have sacrificed their lives for peace and reconciliation in this broken world. I love the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, and that whole passage of Scripture in chapter 5, because it talks about how God is at work in the world working to reconcile the world unto himself through Christ and the love of Christ. Paul says in verse 14, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And then verse 15 he says, And he died for all, that those who, should, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And then verse 18 is where I wanted to get to. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. I love that passage. It talks so much about how God has been at work in the world around us through his spirit, calling people back to himself, working towards re uh, reconciliation with him. And he's calling people, he's working in people's hearts and minds. Many people are rejecting that, but some are responding. And then in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul says, as God's co-workers. I love that, that description of us as followers of Christ. That we're somehow co-working with God to bring reconciliation to the world. To call others into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's part of, part of what God invites us to be a part of. His work of reconciling the world. I love how, how that scripture just really invites us into what God is doing in the world around us. But Satan, however, is using everything in his power and every opportunity to bring hatred and division into the world by whatever means necessary. He'll use our ego. He'll use ungodliness. And there's ego and ungodliness within the Christian world and outside of the Christian world, all wreaking havoc on this world. But Jesus tells us, blessed is the peacemaker. Blessed is the peacemaker. Our role as peacemakers extends more than just to the spread of the gospel, but also lessening tension, seeking solutions, and speaking into difficult situations. And you know, it's most difficult to do that when the anger is directed towards you personally. Are you able to be a peacemaker in those times? Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. 
but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, often our ego gets in the way. This is particularly difficult for me because I have this need inside of me to be right. I know most of you probably don't struggle with that. I admit I struggle with it. My ego gets defensive if I think I'm right and the other person doesn't see that I'm right. And it's a problem in my marriage too because my wife often thinks she's right. (laughs) Knows she's right. Yes, sorry. And when I don't admit that she's right, it causes a problem in our marriage. (laughs) If you think about that marriage relationship, if you both have to be right in an argument, you're never going to find peace. And all too often, marriages are actually built around two selfish people trying to live two selfish lives together. And that doesn't work. It's only when each of you humble yourself and say, say being right and winning the argument is not as important as loving my spouse. Peacemaking takes humility. Peace comes only when you each decide that you don't need to win the argument. And when there's peace, then reconciliation can come. This is an important life lesson that we all need to learn. Too often our Christian conversations are really about winning arguments. But Jesus says, blessed are those who make peace. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you have to be seen as being right in order to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That original Greek language says sons of God. And some versions of the Bible have updated the wording to be more inclusive, which is, which is fine. But we can easily miss the deeper meaning of what Jesus is actually saying here. It's not just a blanket statement, children of God, like Jesus loves the little children of the world. It's a deeper, deeper statement than that. Jesus is making a a specific point about royalty here. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons and daughters of the king. Sons and daughters of the king. They'll be brought into the royal kingdom of heaven. The family of God. Now it's important to understand. Reuben brought this out a little bit last week. All the Beatitudes are really interconnected with each other. They're They're not just standalone statements. That they in many ways, connect with one another. And it's a, it's a whole picture of how Jesus would prefer his followers to live. So blessed are the peacemakers. This closely related to this final beatitude where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it might seem strange that Jesus moved from blessed are the peacemakers to blessed are the persecuted. But they're deeply connected here. Remember that Romans 12, 18 passage? If it is possible, as far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Unfortunately, there will be times when peace is not possible. Some people will simply refuse to live at peace with us. Not every attempt at peace succeeds. Jesus continues his thought on this beatitude in verses 11 and 12 where he says... Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. You're probably not going to feel blessed in that moment. Some people may actually turn against you. They may insult you. They may say all kinds of rude and evil and terrible things about you. They may want, they may want to persecute you. They may want to kill you. So sometimes peace is not possible. I like the definition John Stott in his commentary gave about persecution. He says, persecution is the class between the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. You see, it's the values that Jesus upholds of righteousness, peace, and love versus the values that we so often see in the secular world of, of selfishness, greed, and power. And the Christian's pursuit of righteousness will always clash with those values. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he says, All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter warns his readers in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Notice, it's not a question of if, is it? It's a question of when. When persecution comes. But if you fit seamlessly into the secular society and no one takes notice of your faith and no one knows that you're any different than them, if you're living the kind of life in this world that is easily ignored by others, Maybe there's a question, a deeper question you need to ask yourself. Are you living up to the standards of the Beatitudes that Jesus has laid out for us? Now, not every believer will be chased out of town with persecution. And also, as I thought about this, we as believers should not be so arrogant that we intentionally irritate and provoke people to wrath. Mickey and I were in a small town in New Zealand recently at a market one Saturday morning and we arrived early as the market was opening up and we grabbed our coffee and we were just wandering around looking at all that was on offer. And it was just a lovely morning. It was the sun was shining. It was peaceful and quiet, a little music playing in the background and, and just a chatter of people talking. And it was, it was just a great morning to, to be there. And then a group showed up and set up in the corner, and they had some music equipment and a stage, little tiny stage, and you could tell. Do I need to say more than that? You could tell. Suddenly, this guy starts screaming at people. I think he thought he was preaching, but it was hard to tell because he was just screaming. It was loud. It was rude. It was aggressive. Totally disrupted the peaceful morning in the market. Everyone was annoyed. Everyone. This guy and another person at the market almost came to blows because he really, really upset people. No one was interested in what Jesus had to say in that moment. It had nothing to do with the message of Jesus and all to do with a really, really, really bad approach to taking the gospel to our culture. 
Notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because, because they do what they think is right. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they didn't get what they wanted. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the persecuted because of their political positions. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their theological understanding of, of their soteriological views of the ecclesiastical understanding of the eschatological interpretations of our justification in regards to sanctification in the process of the pneumological teachings of the biblical narrative. I tried to throw in as many as I could get. Jesus didn't say, blessed are persecuted because of our right theological views. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness and because of me, he says. Biblical righteousness is the quality of being right in the sight of God, not in the eyes of others. It doesn't matter what others think. It matters what God thinks. Our world today is all about getting other people to think like you think so that your guilt will be overwhelmed by what they think. And if they think you're nice, then you're going to be okay. People worry far too much about what others think of what you're doing. But our pursuit as followers of Christ, our pursuit of righteousness has to do with our pursuit of the things of God. The righteousness of living out the qualities that are right in the sight of God not the qualities that are right inside of other people. See, Jesus concludes his thoughts with this. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus... Jesus takes a countercultural view to what's going on in the world. The ways of God and, and the ways of the Bible appear to be back to front to the ways that we normally think about doing things in this world. God exalts the humble and humiliates the proud. Jesus said the first are last, and the last are actually first. He ascribes greatness to the servant. And sends the rich and powerful away empty-handed. The culture of the world and the counterculture of Christ are at loggerheads with each other. John Stott in his commentary again said, Jesus congratulates those whom the world most pities and calls the world's rejects blessed. I like what this Maori proverb says, Heitoka tu moana, basically a rock standing in the ocean. And it refers to, speaks about this idea of standing steadfast in the face of adversity. You know how a rock is in the middle of the sea and it's, it's pounded by the waves, but it still stands strong. It suggests that those who are unable to endure circumstances with resilience will be rewarded with perseverance. In a similar way, that's what Jesus is saying here. He seems to be saying those who are marginalized and mistreated, those who stand strong in the face of persecution will ultimately be vindicated and blessed. Ultimately, all of the Beatitudes 
are a challenge to us to live for Christ and to live for Christ with a humility and a purity of heart, to show mercy for others, to, to live with a commitment towards peace. And the challenge Jesus gives to us is to reject the worldly values and the worldly values of power and greed and, and status and to embrace service and sacrifice and love for God and love for one another. Today I want to leave you with a challenging question. It's a challenging question that we all need to answer for ourselves. What do we need to change or adjust in our lives to align our attitudes and our values with the principles set out in the Beatitudes? Is there something in our life that needs to change? Some way that we've been living that needs to be adjusted? Do we need to realign our attitudes and our values to be more in line with what Jesus was teaching there in the Beatitudes? Let me read them again for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've gathered us here, that we gather in your name to remember all that you've given to us, Lord. We thank you for how you provide for us. But Lord, your words are challenging to us at times. Your words are hard at times. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to go through pain. But we know that challenges and tough times are part of living on this earth. So Lord, let us live for you and your righteousness in all that we do in the midst of this crazy and broken world. Lord, give us the power through your Holy Spirit to stand up against those things that try to push us down. And Lord, convict our hearts of things that we need to change, of attitudes and values, the things that we've been doing, maybe the things of how we've been treating those we most love. And Lord, help us to, to remember to be makers of peace in the midst of this world. Lord, lead us and guide us. Let us be in tune with you. Help us to see how we can co-partner co with you and your kingdom work in this world, Lord. Lord, if there's somebody here that's moved today to move closer to you, that's challenged to move closer to you, I just pray that you won't let that go from them. I pray that they'll be moved and challenged and will respond to what you're setting in their hearts. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you've given to us. Thank you for this great church and the community of believers that we have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.